0: It's no secret that there's a race for technology dominance. The speed of adoption in digital technologies in China has caught the world by surprise. From superpowers like Alibaba and Tencent, to artificial intelligence, to the development of 5G technology, China has become one of the most vibrant hubs for technology in the world. Surprisingly, it's all pretty recent. In 2010, a little over one-third of China's population was using the Internet, and most of that was desktop-based. In the U.S., it was 71%. So how did China become the superpower, and how will the race move forward from here? On this episode of The Bid, we'll speak to Ray Zhao, Portfolio Manager for Chinese Equities within BlackRock's Systematic Active Equity Group. We'll talk about how China grew into the superpower it is today, what makes Chinese technology different, and where she sees opportunities for investors. I'm your host, Oscar Polito. We hope you enjoy Ray, thank you so much for joining us today on The Bid.
1: Thank you so much for having me here.
0: Let's start at the beginning. Where was China five or 10 years ago in terms of technology, and how did it become the superpower it is today?
1: China has completely evolved to a very different country as of today. And 10 years ago, we don't have much big data or machine learning going on in China. But fast forward to today, those are very Widely available and very prominent in China, I would say the transition really started in 2003 after China added itself into WTO. The whole stock market only started in 1993. And in that year, it's only six companies. And the whole purpose for the stock market is not anywhere for people to invest, it's more about helping the SOEs, state-owned enterprise, to divest their shares. And the stock market really becomes investable to normal people after China entered WTO. So the number of private companies in China growing rapidly and also the size of those companies also grow rapidly. A lot of the GDP growth, which is generating wealth and cash flow, are not cash flow generated by the publicly listed company. Rather, they were generated by private companies or companies owned by the government. That's why they can direct the usage of the cash flow generated to long-term investment. The government has been directing all those cash flows to invest in future infrastructure projects or in technology upgrade and also in venture capital companies that help to fund a lot of the initiatives in the technology development. I think that's also part of the reason we have seen such a fast growth in China's technology sector. But also, I have been thinking about this question myself a lot as well. So I think in China, the education component really plays a key role in this fast catch-up process. Back for myself, when I go through my school process, We were always told math, physics, and chemistry are the key things we need to learn. And I think for my generation, everyone has learned a lot of the hard science, but very little on the liberal arts. So it's pretty narrow knowledge, but it's really helping us to take advantage of the engineer component.
0: The government plays a role in this as well. My understanding is that President Xi's Made in China 2025 initiative seeks to transform China into a leader in new technology. So how does this support actually play out?
1: Yes, you're absolutely right. The government has been a key component in driving the technology upgrade in China. The Chinese government usually set a five-year plan plan or revisited every year. So they have expressed a key focus on the technology upgrade and uh, recently called five years ago, the big data usage in the whole economy. I think in the long run, the government really recognize the big data and technology can increase the speed of catching up and can increase the speed of economic growth as well as the stability in the society. The Made in China 2025 has been widely quoted among the media, and it's caught a lot of people's focus. This time, I think it's part of the trigger for the US China tension. So that's why it's become a very widely quoted concept. But really, when you look back in China's history, they always have a five year plan going on. And they also had a couple of times this 30 year discussion. But for 2025, the government wants to upgrade the technology platform in China, not only on the AI and the machine learning, and they really want to apply technology in normal people's daily life to increase the whole productivity of the society.
0: Ray, what are some of the advantages that the leaders in China have when helping with this investment in technology that perhaps leaders in the U.S. and Europe don't have, in your opinion?
1: I think in China, we all recognize it's a one party dominated system. So I think there's nothing wrong to say that out loud. That's really gives the country or the government an advantage to implement. So when they're committed to anything or when they decide any change they want to make, they can really implement it quite efficiently. The downside is definitely, is usually lacking very thoughtful discussion and deep understanding about the impact on the environment, on the society. But in terms of getting things done, they do have the advantage of that. And also, I think the party system have a very detailed focus that is on stability. So I think the whole government agree on their main agenda is to focus on stability And to deliver stability, they need to deliver growth so that the public can enjoy some of the growth and enjoy the improvement in their daily life. And also, at the same time, employment has been a key focus of the government. So I think China has been enjoying high growth historically, but most of that agenda is really to deliver or maintain stability over the long run.
0: Let's talk about the consumer base in China. For example... In the U.S., when I think about technology, there is a hesitancy to share personal information with tech platforms or there's worries about privacy. But in China, it seems like the opposite. I just heard that at major airports in China, for example, you can walk up to a kiosk that scans your face and gives you all of your boarding information. Is that true?
1: I also heard about that, but I haven't tried it myself. But I will not be surprised this is happening In China or is going to be widely available in China in the near future. I think you're right. Maybe part of the culture or maybe part of the past experience or history, Chinese people are less concerned about their privacy. They're more concerned about the growth for their wealth. So that's why they are willing to share their information in order to maybe grab a better opportunity or at least try to grab a better opportunity or try something new. But I think the next generation, things might change. I already see some dramatic difference over the current generation and the young generation, the millennials. So I think things can evolve. But it just happened to be in the past few generations, you know, people focus more on the growth and wealth perspective rather than other parts.
0: That's interesting. People are less worried about privacy, and it sounds like they're more focused on economic advancement. And that makes me wonder, the idea of a super app where you can do everything all in one experience, it's not something that you typically see in the U.S., but for example, WeChat is a good example of this, where you can message a friend saying you're on your way to dinner, you can order a car, you can play a game on your ride to the restaurant, you can order your food before you get to the restaurant. There's a number of things you can do all within a single app. Do you see this being replicated outside of China? And what do you think are some of the advantages and disadvantages of an app like this?
1: Yes, I think it really helps people to manage their daily life in a higher, efficient way. And I personally enjoyed it a little bit when I was traveling in China. So you can use WeChat to handle everything. I think in China, it's probably the first place this type of super app started, especially WeChat. But I think slowly we have seen some major companies in the U.S. started to try out, to expand out of their normal business lines and to give users a better experience to try different things together. For example, Amazon started with an online company and now they are consolidating online and offline with the Whole Foods. And Apple expanded into Apple Pay, which is the online transaction system. So I think in the U.S., we are seeing some of the new apps or new companies being tested out. But in China, there was an advantage that a lot of the companies started with the same idea and each of them can go out and find a lot of the users because of the huge population. That's usually what happens in China. It's not just one company coming to play. And also there are pretty decent amount of venture capital funding available in China, either backed by the government or backed by large existing companies, and they can help to fund all those trials. So that's why we have been seeing in China a lot of the new ideas being tested. And on the other side, As we mentioned earlier, in China, the consumers are less concerned about their privacy. They are quite excited to try out some new apps, either to have a better experience or just to increase their day-to-day efficiency. So they are very open-minded to try those things, which also help those super apps to grow.
0: Do you think that Tencent, which owns WeChat and Alibaba and perhaps others, would they have been as successful if they weren't? trying to launch their businesses in China? Or do you think they'll have equal success abroad?
1: That's a great question. Honestly, I think Tencent can only exist in China. And also, I think they take advantage of China being semi-closed of the economy and the market. One big advantage they had was Google was not available in China. So I think if it's in the U.S., Google will probably become... A dominant player in the home market. However, you know, they are not in a hurry to enter the other fields like banking, like investing, or like for food delivery, for example. So they're really taking it slowly and more carefully plan their business trajectory versus in China, a lot of things are moving super fast.
0: So it's interesting how you're sort of comparing and contrasting Chinese companies versus sort of non-Chinese companies and what each other do well. So in what way do you see China learning from some of these other global players? You mentioned Google, for example. And in what way do you see China setting the bar for some of these global companies?
1: I think China, it's... Only been fifteen years in this decent high growth regime, so they have a lot to learn the u s is a very mature market development market, and there are a lot of the cutting edge technique available here. But I think on the other side, China is really good at executing. So when they have the idea, when they see the opportunity, They tend to move very fast. And also because of the competition in the industry, usually there will be multiple companies start. So they tend to really have the push to move faster compared to the U.S. peers. And also the government did help the company by supporting this technology upgrade and also the big data availability agenda. So the data has really become more available in China compared to the U.S., you now for example in the US I think a lot of the companies who try to use data will be worried about the legal consequence versus in China consumers are less concerned about privacy so those type of data tend to be more easily available.
0: You mentioned the competition going on between companies in the US and China. I want to talk more about the race for technology dominance between these two countries. We've heard so much about this in the headlines. What started the race and where do we stand today?
1: When China started to upgrade into the higher tech of industry or the sector of the economy, some of the competition naturally happened. When you think about China 20 years ago, it's mainly been labeled as a big industry of manufacture and assembling. But versus today, they are entering this higher value-added sub-industry sector of the market, of the economy. Some of the areas has traditionally been dominated by the U.S. players. So some of the competition happened naturally. But at the same time, because China moved so fast in the past 15 years, a lot of the things are not really done very carefully. For example, regulation set up for potential data breach risk or even the consumer privacy, even though people don't care about today, but it doesn't mean they don't care about it in the future. So a lot of the regulations hasn't been really thought about very carefully. Versus the U.S., you no know, things tend to be moving in a more careful fashion, so the conflict will naturally start. I think this is a good opportunity for China and also for the U.S. The U.S. has been helping China in terms of the past fast growth. But in China's case, I think it's a good time to take a pause and think about what's the best way to set up the regulation for the long-term growth.
0: It seems to me like there are a couple of areas in particular where this race in technology is most prevalent. 5G comes to mind, as does artificial intelligence. And I want to start with artificial intelligence, since that seems like the basis for a lot of the most recent and rapid advancements in Chinese technology. How competitive are the U.S. and China when it comes to artificial intelligence?
1: I think for artificial intelligence, it's a very broad topic, and it can be applied anywhere. But in the end of the day, If you want to teach the machine anything or you want the machine to learn anything out of itself, you have to have the data. And that's one of the advantages of China because data availability is huge and it's really lack of constraint. So a lot of the AI can be trained and applied to this vast amount of data versus in the U.S., I think regulation already followed up quite quickly. So some of the data becomes not easy to access. So that might make the speed of the development different
0: What about 5G? It seems like there's the U.S. versus China when it comes to this topic, that this is where there's another tension between the two countries and their advancement in this technology. Does there have to be a winner and loser when it comes to 5G?
1: I hope the answer is no, because I do think there will be a big benefit for both countries to collaborate in this area. As I mentioned, the US is really having the thought leadership and the cutting edge innovation. And in China, it's pretty good at executing ideas or testing ideas. And also, because of the amount of data, you can see whether it's a successful or failure idea quite quickly. So, I think if we can really combine the two countries' strengths, that could benefit everybody in the world. But I think Going forward, there could be different focus between the U.S. and China in terms of the 5G technology and AI.
0: So let's talk about some of the investment implications. I want to take advantage of your background as a portfolio manager, uh, looking at markets. What does all of this mean for investing in technology? We had heard from Kate Moore on a recent episode that, in her opinion, it felt like you needed to invest in U.S. and Chinese tech independently, just given the difference in the two ecosystems. I'd be curious to hear your view as to the investment opportunities based on everything you've mentioned.
1: I totally agree with her view. I think she has a good point that as an investor, you might want to own both U.S. and China in terms of the technology development because they might be going through different paths. This competition might become a long-term and the advantage of the two countries are also quite different. You know, China is good at implementing testing and finding the data for the test, and the U.S. is cutting-edge innovation. And also, I think in China, the technology or the use of Internet, uh, use of the mobile app, has rooted deeply into people's daily life. From consumer, like day-to-day life, to investing, you can also buy mutual funds through the Tencent WeChat app. Or to healthcare, you can see doctor on your phone, either through a VC or just through a text chat or through a picture. So a lot of the development in China are focused on the usage perspective, which help to improve humans' daily life. Versus the U.S., it could be more focused on a different aspect. So I think owning both sides of the company can probably provide investors a more comprehensive view of the technology upgrade or growth.
0: Another one of the differences you mentioned between these two countries is the willingness for individuals to give up data about their social media usage. So how do you use this when you're making investment decisions?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I'll focus on China first. We can get a lot of the information from Internet, including social media, but also including a lot of the disclosures that the companies are required to broadcast to everybody. So we combine data from different data sources together to give us a more comprehensive view about the company. One example I'll use is back 30 years ago, even in the U.S., Investor can only get information by reading through the financial statement the company put up or talking to the management team through like a one-on-one meeting. But fast forward to today, we can get a lot of information about the company through their online activity because we know how many people click their website every day while we know how many people opened up their app and look at the company and how long they spend linger around in the app. Or we can read through the social media and see which brand people like and which brand people complain. So just overall, by leveraging the data, it answers a lot of the questions we always want to answer before, but we couldn't. And today, with the data and technology, it's just to help our human being to answer these questions.
0: Well, it's apparent we're going to be talking more about China, particularly in the context of our portfolios based on everything you've just shared. Ray, I want to end with a rapid-fire round where we're going to predict the future a bit, or at least we're going to try. I'd like you to tell me whether you see the following things happening in 5, 10, 30 years, or never. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Household robots.
1: Within five.
0: A cure for cancer. Five years. I sure hope you're right on that one. There's a lot of people rooting for you on that answer. Personal jetpacks. 10 years. That'll be a good way to get to work, I suppose, if that works out. One world currency.
1: I would say somewhere between 30 years and never.
0: Commercial space travel.
1: 10 to 30 years. And I'm actually looking forward to this. I've already been talking to my kids that someday I'm going to take them to the moon. But they didn't show any interest so far.
0: It'll be a great way to earn accelerated airline miles for sure. Ray, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure having you on The Bid.
1: Thank you so much for your time, and thank you for having me here.
2: This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by BlackRock. It's not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research, or investment advice and is not a recommendation, offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or adopt any investment strategy. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by BlackRock to be reliable and are not guaranteed as to accuracy or completeness. This material may contain forward-looking information that is not purely historical in nature. There is no guarantee that any forecast made will come to pass. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. Past performance is not indicative of current or future results. This information provided is neither tax nor legal advice, and investors should consult with their own advisors before making investment decisions. Investment involves risk, including possible loss of principal. This material is not an offer to sell or an invitation to apply for any particular product or service. In the U.S., this material is intended for public distribution. In Latin America, this material is for educational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice nor an offer or solicitation to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any shares of any fund. No securities regulators in Latin America have confirmed the accuracy of any information contained herein. The provision of investment management and investment advisory services is a regulated activity in Mexico, thus is subject to strict rules. For more information on the investment advisory services offered by BlackRock Mexico, please refer to the Investment Services Guide, available at blackrock.com mx. Copyright 2019, BlackRock Inc. All rights reserved. BlackRock is a registered trademark of BlackRock Inc. All other trademarks are those of their respective owners.